So on the nose, we talk about culture. But today, for part of the show, well, the coronavirus, COVID-9, is going to affect culture. It already has. Movies are not shooting anymore. For example, Mission Impossible 7 shut down a shoot in Venice. Orchestras are not performing. Ballet troops are not touring. The market in China, which keeps the movie business in America afloat, is suddenly collapsing because people literally can't go to movie theaters. So all of that's changing. So might our ways of greeting one another and how often we leave the house. We're going to talk all about that and then talk about a movie that everybody likes, except for me, called Knives Out. After the news. I would be complex I would be cool They'd say I played the field before I found someone to commit to And that would be okay for me to do Every conquest I had made would make me more of a boss to you I'd be a fearless leader, I'd be an alpha type When everyone believes ya, what's that like? I'm so sick of running as fast as I can Wondering if I'd get there quicker if I was a man And I'm so sick of them coming at me again Cause if I was a man That's Tay-Tay, and I just would like to clear something up right here. I don't, I don't dislike Taylor Swift. And I, actually, that sounds like a pretty good song. It's a new Taylor Swift song. It sounds like a pretty good song. I just don't want her in my life all the time. Like, I want to be able to make decisions about where Taylor Swift crops up in my life. That's, that's the only thing I ask for. And I don't think it's too much. I, I don't think that's an unreasonable request. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's the new Taylor Swift song. It was played only to get a reaction out of me. That's the only reason it was played. But it is the new Taylor Swift song, so you may tell other people that you heard part of it. All right, it's time to do the nose. And this is a special nose uh, episode called Netflix and Fever and Chills. Uh, Susan Bigelow is librarian and columnist for CT News Junkie and a science fiction fantasy novelist. The reason I mention her is she's right here on the panel, and so is Rich Holland, a principal at CoLab, founder of Free Center and commissioner on cultural affairs for the city of Hartford. Helder Mira is a multimedia producer at Trinity College and a Cine Studio board member. And speaking of Cine Studio, they are currently showing the movie Knives Out, which we will be talking about in the second segment of the show. But right now, at the beginning... And if this topic is not a successful topic, I should say it's my fault because I was thinking this morning that, you know, I mean, coronavirus, COVID-19, it may actually not turn out to be as big a thing as it currently looks like. But if it is the thing that it currently looks like, it's going to change a lot of things. It's already changing stuff like, I, mean, I don't know, I'm, you will be disappointed to hear that Mission Impossible 7 is behind schedule because they were going to try to shoot it in Venice and they can't shoot it in Venice. And, and that movie companies are not making the kind of money that they thought they were going to make because they bet so much on the Chinese market where people right now can't go to movie theaters and so on and so forth. And whatever's happening in China right now might be a pretty good predictor for 
what life in the United States could look like in, say, three months if this thing started to pyramid up. So we're going to talk about that, how it really kind of affects our consumption of culture. But the front line, the front line of culture for any kind of disturbing episode would be late night, <laughs> late night comics. Here's what they were saying about this. The coronavirus. It's the worst global pandemic since Baby Shark. There are now over 80,000 confirmed cases in 40 countries. This coronavirus is starting to make people nervous. Experts say this could be the fastest spreading virus from Asia since Gangnam Style, which is scary. <laughs> Trump tried to reassure us all. There's a very good chance you're not going to die. Oh, <laughs> really? Uh, this is your captain speaking. We are beginning our final descent into Chicago's O'Hare Airport. Put your trade tables up because we've got a solid chance of landing this sucker. I say odds are 60-40. We walk away from this. Low ratings, fake news, MSDNC, and CNN are doing everything possible to make the coronavirus spelled wrong look as bad as possible, including panicking markets if possible. Likewise, their incompetent do-nothing Democrat comrades are all talk, no action. USA in great shape. He's right. Why is the liberal media only focusing on the negative side of the coronavirus? It's so biased. All right. Those are your late night friends talking about all this. But yeah, we could enter a period where, as is the case in China, people don't leave the house as much. A lot of times this will be – there'll be sort of a parasite quality to this in the sense that some of us who are very privileged might be able to work from home, might be able to stay home and entertain ourselves and some of us who are less so, people in the service in industry, people whose bodies have to be present in a certain place to do kinds of – certain kinds of work may not, may not have that privilege. But so, um, Rich, I'm going to have mm -hmm. you sort of get us started here. I mean maybe we'll start greeting each other differently. Well, we are already. There's pretty much every news station that I was watching yesterday – posed the question, should we be shaking hands now or not? Hmm. And, uh, and it seemed like the overwhelming idea was don't shake hands and, you know, and people should actually stop sleeping together. Like, you know, couples should sleep in separate rooms and, you know, this, this idea of just absolute sequestering. Some of us are single, so we're uh, we not know, supposed to sleep together. Tell your cats to get the yeah, hell exactly. out of the bedroom. It's the cats. Yeah. That's, that's how it all started. Um, so... Uh, I, so I think that that's already happening, right? That mm. we're starting to take a look at how a pandemic is going to affect culture at a time when culture could be so easily affected, right? It doesn't take much because the, the information moves so quickly and the misinformation moves just as quickly. Along with what you were saying a little while ago, that only the rich might be able to afford this and be able to be out in society while the rest of the folks are sequestered. I mean, that is a message that's come to us already, right? That it's possible that some folks won't be able to afford vaccination. Right. Or it could be the other way around. The rich will have the opportunity to stay home uh, and telecommute uh, and skip things. And uh, usually if you're sort of the lower end of the socioeconomic ladder, you have less ability to say, well, I'm not going to this or that place, you know, because a lot of times if you work in, in the service industry, yeah. your body has to, to be somewhere and you don't get that choice. Although, Susan, in a way, it, it does seem – once again, this, there's a socioeconomic sequestering to all this, but that this – our society has been evolving towards this moment. <laughs> We've increasingly equipped our houses in such a way as so that we can be kept busy there and we're all looking for an excuse probably to stay home and binge stuff. Oh, I am. This is great. Come on. Bring it on. Um, I actually think that we, we're ready 
for something like this because we've watched so many zombie movies at this point uh, that we've been preparing sort of in our heads for what are we going to do when the zombie apocalypse comes. And, you know, we can replace that with this. That's That works out. I know that I have been uh, – we have been very quietly uh, getting together things, uh, packing away some, some crackers and stuff downstairs and making sure we have enough water and cat food. Uh, not, not for us to eat but for the cats. But, you know, just having enough stuff – so that if if something happens, we can we can be okay for a couple of weeks, and it's just like, are we being paranoid about this? Well, you know, it's probably okay if we we at least have some extra stuff. What's wrong with that? But you know, we're not we're not like doomsday preppers yet. Um, <laughs> like we, I don't have like a go bag for me to get to the mountains real fast. But I think I don't know. I feel like I'm kind of getting there, <laughs> which is not good. But I think that's a kind of a headspace that a lot of us are in. Well, Helder, we learn a lot about reality or I, I guess air quotes around learn uh, a lot about reality from culture. So I actually remember at um, during 9-11, one of my first sets of reactions was to begin to replay various movies in my head that corresponded to this. I kept sort of thinking this is this is like that, except that it's real. And and I do think, you know, to Susan's point, I, I personally wouldn't use zombie mu- movies as a, a basis for life planning in a situation like this. But you know, I mean, the Soderbergh movie Contagion. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, I don't know if you saw this. Uh, it was either yesterday or the day before. Uh, the Secretary of Health and Human Services Azar was ta- uh, testifying to Congress, and behind him was an HHS staffer who kept touching her face. <laughs> and right. I find myself going, "Don't you listen to Kate Winslet?" Don't you remember what Kate Winslet told you? Don't touch your face. And then I'm thinking, well, it's probably true, but it was actually in a movie. It's not really, you know, CDC advisory. Well, I mean, it, to me, it started reminding me of stuff like Outbreak and uh, but definitely The Walking Dead. There's a feeling of like trying to like board ourselves up in our houses and like stay away from us and like just watching, you know, who comes into the house. And I think I said this in my emails where I run an Airbnb. So every so often there's people coming through and a lot of people that have come through over the last few years have been from China coming to check out schools and, and work environments as well as from Europe. And just the other day, my parents were like, uh, we're going to have to start like looking at that. Like, Who should be coming into the house? Who are you renting to at this point? Who are you uh, allowing, authorizing? And, you know, thinking about like, uh, what was the movie with Julianne Moore that, uh, a while back where she's like contained and also in, in a whole outfit the whole time. There goes my pop culture not doing very – not serving me well <laughs> right now. You're supposed to be a master of this. Can we just go back to Outbreak? All I remember about – I saw it at a drive-in movie theater in Cape Cod. All I remember is Dustin Hoffman and Monkeys. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's more to it apparently because people keep bringing it up. I feel like Contagion is the go-to movie for coronavirus. But you're like the eighth person to bring up Outbreak. For me, it's I feel, Outbreak. It's I outbreak, feel like yeah. Outbreak was far more um, known than Contagion was. Maybe it's the difference between – Dustin Hoffman and Kate Winslet. I always go to the Stand, the Stand miniseries. Yeah, yeah. that's oh, where yeah. I go. No, well, children of men I mean, also. Matt is, Damon yeah. is in Contagion. There's a lot of people. It's not just a Kate Winslet <laughs> movie. <laughs> wow. Um, I actually, this is actually true. This is a horrible story. I don't know why we did this, but my son and I were flying out to San Francisco, and my son was at that time a somewhat nervous traveler, and we wound up just watching Contagion on the plane. Think about that. We're on an. First of all, they shouldn't show it on an airplane. It shouldn't even be an option. And we were flying to San Francisco, which I think is where Gwyneth Paltrow, who, by the way, held her, is also in that movie. <laughs> I think that's the first place she arrives. <laughs> by the time we got there, we just we just wanted to go home or just you know go jump in the bay or something like that. Oh, um, that's like showing airplane on airplane. That's too right. many bad things happening. Right, and but I mean. I, I just think also, like, Rich, you and I were on Friday night. We ran into each other at Hartford Stage. 
And, and we're milling around, talking. Everybody's kind of enjoying being out in the world. And yes, maybe it's a slight one percenter feeling to all that. But I just wonder whether that's going to be the case. And if, if this thing were to pyramid up, I mean, there is something that is gained, I think, when we do go out and gather and mix with one another and complain to each other about things. Absolutely. And, um, and you know what? We were out that night and I was hugging everybody. Yeah. And I'm a germaphobe. <laughs> I was just going to bring up so a couple of comic writers that I follow and comic artists are about to engage and, you know, we're in con convention season and they're big into like needing to work Uh with people, see the people, shake hands and on Twitter they're all like, look, no no fist bumps, no hugs this time around. We're just going to have to like sign your books and that's it. Yeah, but conventions are always the worst place for disease. You're going to get something if you go to a convention. You will – yeah. It's not good. So there's also a way in which because we process things through culture, we don't process things particularly rationally. Um, uh, and so, Susan, you noticed that a Corona beer is actually having an issue. But, I mean – I don't know if that was me who noticed that, but yeah. Somebody noticed it. Yeah, a yeah. Corona – because it's it's called Corona. Um, it it, it has, has nothing, of course, to do with, with the virus. But people are – this, this is how people think. This is how our paranoia gets us or perhaps our ignorance. That's how it gets us. Uh, of course, you can't take away some of the knee-jerk reactions people are having to this. Like uh, you start seeing some some racism pop to the surface about people from Asia. Like, oh, they might have it. We've got to be careful. Uh, so I, I think that this sort of thing reverts us back to a, like a more awful state in some ways. Yeah, and uh, Helder, I didn't quite understand it. I have it right in front of me, but you did distribute to us a, a beard chart. Oh, uh, oh the beard chart. Oh, uh, so this beard chart was sent out, I believe, on beer, the CDs. Beard, not beer, beard, by the way. Right. We moved away from beer and towards beards. Beards as in three of us currently have beards right. on our face. And yeah. we We're would, at risk. We are at risk for not being able to put the mask safely on us to protect ourselves from— I will be fine. Thank you. Yeah, That's you'll right. be fine. Um, you know, Colin has a goatee. Rich has a goatee, and they, I think the hair just comes out underneath, and mine's mm-hmm. a full beard, so we would be totally screwed. But I love so. the like different names that they had. Like they really went into like the villain mustache. No, yeah. that's you're gonna yeah. die from that one. Clearly. Chin it's curtain, chin curtain. There's the Zappa. I like that. There's a Zappa. Yeah, some of those names. I don't know who was making them up. But. Wal- walrus. We're looking at you, John Bolton. Um, toothbrush, yeah. But see, Walrus will be fine. That'll fit underneath the right. mask just perfectly. Anything where the hair sticks out, um, we are all in trouble. Like uh, we're going to be we're going to be looked at and yeah. wondered if we have corona because our, we're not protected safely. Exactly. There's going to be a lot of new property available in Brooklyn. Well, either that or a lot of people are just you know going to run out and buy trimmers and you know I mean and that's sort of an interesting thing. I, I feel as though the more protected you are, the more cosseted you've been, the more paranoid you get. I mean, somebody made this point in a, in one of the tweets we were looking at. That they were sitting over there in Indonesia, not being too worried, but mm-hmm. people were running around Hartford, Connecticut, losing it. Uh, I mean, there there there's a way in which your your distance from something ratchets up your fear higher. One thing I would say about that tweet, because I'm the one that shared that, um, the quote that she also had was that the news wasn't playing it up as much there as it is supposedly here, Mm. which also comes to information. And now that we've got all of the information is going to have to go through Mike Pence, are we going to get the Pence pandemic that way because they're going to stop telling us what's happening? You know, that's okay. That's my paranoia settling and like wondering what's going to happen as soon as like the government is controlling all the source of media that's coming out. 
And that's what happened during the 1918 Spanish flu, the influenza pandemic uh, that killed like hundreds of thousands of people uh, because the country was at war at that point. They actually mm. were censoring uh, the newspapers and keeping any mention of bad stuff away from people. So people who didn't have information uh, were, were at risk because of that. I, I do feel like we have to make a conscious effort to to separate superstition and prejudice from reality and and maybe even take some affirmative steps here and there. I mean, this is I'm about to cite the most puny puny affirmative stuff you can imagine. But my son and I uh, had to meet uh, somewhere on Sunday afternoon and I sort of hadn't had time to have lunch. And I said, "We're going to Green Tea, which is a Chinese restaurant in Farmington." And and cuz like we I suddenly realized we hadn't been to a Chinese restaurant not exactly because of any kind of I mean, obviously there's Chinese restaurants are not dangerous or anything like that, but you know, the media as you're suggesting Helder is pretty good at Planting these ideas sure. in your head, you know, you don't even you don't even realize you have them until you want to exorcise them instead of exercising them. What were you going to say? I'm just really curious if we're uh, in a culture that just wants to invite things that we could be afraid of. Oh, um, I think so. Yeah, one hundred percent. I feel like that's been like the way since I was a kid in the '80s. It's mm-hmm. like we, we back then we had the boogeyman of the Soviet Union and mm-hmm. nuclear missiles everywhere. So. And constant invasions from the Soviets. Well, there, there Thanks, is Chuck Norris. Yeah, there is what I call the narcissism of the present moment, which is that things are much more terrible and dangerous right now. And I often have to explain to people that from 1969 to about 1971, America was like really scary. I mean, there were like bombs going off all the time, domestically bombs going off all the time. Uh, you know, we we had to go through a president who was somewhat similar to the president we have now, except that he concealed everything that Donald Trump insists on us knowing about. But, you know, as you look back through the past, or Susan talked about 1918, I mean, you know, we we tend to believe that we live under the most dire circumstances that any human beings have ever been subjected to, and that's typically not the case. Um, I do have some exciting uh, um, supporting details about outbreak versus contagion. So Outbreak came out in 1995. It was loosely based on Richard Preston's The Hot Zone, which is the nonfiction book I'm being told about this kind of stuff. Uh, And uh, it made $67 million domestically. Um, And uh, so Contagion came out in 2011 and made $75 million domestically, which means that Outbreak was actually more popular, uh, adjusted for inflation and stuff like that. Um, Except, yeah, I think, well, I I think Contagion is like a much better movie. I really don't remember remember anything except Dustin Hoffman and the monkey. So maybe that's not fair. Renee Russo. I think she sold it. She was amazing. Always. Yeah. All right. So there was the thing that bugged me. Wasn't if I'm recalling correctly, wasn't Contagion when it came down to it, uh, it was all about uh, Gwyneth Paltrow had an affair. All Gwyneth Paltrow's fault. And believe me, this thing's going to turn out to be all Gwyneth Paltrow's (laughs) fault too. When it comes right down to it, it's all those people who read Goop and they're not going to get their vaccinations. Because they're going to be steaming their you-know-whats oh. <laughs> instead. And yes, that's exactly what's going to happen. All right. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll be talking about Knives Out, a movie that everybody in America and foreign markets loves, except for me. I don't like it that much. So, um, But the panel liked it a lot. So, uh, And you'll probably like it too. Here come some people. It's our, the last day of our fun drive. And so if you would help uh, support us. And a lot of people are calling in and making a pledge in honor of Mary Louise Kelly, who, by the way, is fine. (laughs) Nothing happened to her or anything, but she did stand up when that was needed. So uh, answer the call when these people call out to you. 
We are back. I hope that you uh, maybe took the opportunity to support this show, this station, the whole endeavor that is public radio. Even if you didn't do it right then, you can sort of like listen to us out of the corner of your ear and uh, make that phone call or get online at WNPR.org. Make a pledge. All right. So we're going to talk about Knives Out. Knives Out is commercially a hit and critically a hit. I mean, if you go by Rotten Tomatoes, I think it's got a 97 percent critics rating and like a 91 percent audience rating, something like that. Uh, so let's uh, before we discuss it, hear a little clip from it. You will hear uh, Don Johnson as one of well, – these some relationships are so complicated to explain. Don Johnson will be somebody. Uh, Lakeith Stanfield will be a, a, a police detective from Massachusetts. Uh, Tony Collette will be somebody. Jamie Lee Curtis will be somebody. And Daniel Craig will be Benoit Blanc, uh, who is a, a, a detective from Tennessee with for some reason or other an outrageously French name and uh, a very heavy accent. Okay. So who the f*** is that? Um, this is Benoit Blanc. Benoit Blanc? Yes. Uh, Mr. Blanc is a private investigator of great renown. Wait a minute. I read a tweet about a New Yorker article about you. The last of the gentleman's sleuths? You solved that case with the tennis champ? <laughs> You're famous! Uh, Mr. Blanc is not with the police department and not officially involved in the case, but he's offered to consult. Now, I happily oblige and I can vouch for him. Mr. Blanc, I know who you are. I read your profile in The New Yorker. I found it delightful. I just buried my 85-year-old father who committed suicide. Why are you here? I'm here at the behest of a client. Who? I cannot say, but let me assure you this. My presence will be ornamental. You will find me a respectful, quiet, passive observer of the truth. All right. <laughs> That's... Uh... <laughs> They love this movie. That's Daniel Craig uh, at, the, at the end there. That's James Bond talking to you. Um, all right, so Knives Out has been a big hit. Uh, it uh, didn't win that many major awards, possibly because the cast is so big they were worried that the stage would collapse if people all went up there to get the awards. Uh, Christopher Plummer is also in it, uh, as is Captain America, Chris Evans, uh, and a whole bunch of other people. Like, I'd be here all day. So um, we're going to talk about this. It's a whodunit. It takes place in a rambling uh, clue board like mansion in Massachusetts, and so Susan Bigelow, get us started here. Uh, what, do, what do people like about this thing? Uh, why, why, why are the people just going gaga for it? It's it's like um, it's both an homage to an kind of a send up of the kind of classic mystery genre, where you have the the sort of enigmatic, charismatic detective trying to unravel trying to unravel a mystery in a mansion. Uh, full of uh, suspicious characters. It's it, the whole aesthetic of the movie is great. I thought it was. I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, the mystery was pretty good. I thought, as mysteries go, um, it was. Yeah, it wasn't. There were some things that I was expecting. A couple of other. I was expecting it to go a little farther than it did. Um, but I thought it was still it was great fun. I think that's probably the best thing. I, the best thing about the movie is that it's fun. It doesn't take itself one hundred percent seriously. Uh, it's got a lot of interesting characters, and it's just a good, good time. All right. So Helder, uh, also the movie I should say, is directed by Ryan Johnson, who uh, directed one of my favorite movies of all time, which I will probably talk about in the endorsements. But I just want to take everybody's temperature. I guess I shouldn't say that in the middle of COVID-19. <laughs> I would like to sound you out. 
get your feelings about this particular movie. Uh, I, much like Susan, really enjoyed it. It was a film I was looking forward to from the first time I saw the trailer. Um, I love Ryan Johnson's work. Uh, Last Jedi and Brick are two of my favorite movies. And the cast just looked amazing. It looked like a lot of fun. One of the people that I really wanted, I felt like just was a great mo- a great character was uh, Anna Darmus's character as Marta, the the like visiting nurse and like ca- care ke- giver to uh, Christopher Plummer's character. And their relationship was just so dynamic and and precious. I, I hate that word, but like it was so just so heartwarming to see that. Um, and I love that fact that it was also not only just a send up of of um, mysteries it did a really good job of I mean in my opinion anyway just like carrying the mystery through watching both Benoit and Marta kind of play cat and mouse with each other um, I don't want to give too much away but it becomes obvious that she's going to be involved in it somehow and um, trying to like keep him at bay from discovering what she knows um, but also just it was so beautifully shot and edited and just the script is so funny. We're being careful not to do spoilers, although I would yeah. say that if we made a concerted effort to describe the plot in detail to you, we also couldn't do that. So I'm <laughs> a little bit less worried about spoilers. Uh, the plot is very multi-layered and, and complicated. Rich? So um, I watched it twice uh, and it's definitely to me uh, a three-act um, uh, a three-act uh, movie uh, where the action actually starts happening in the third act. Uh, which means that uh, the first time I fell asleep in the second act. Um, and uh, and it was moving at a pace that was like just painful for me to hang with um, at the beginning. And I think the part that was most painful is that there was so much that was set up uh, to make happen, to work really well. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis played this incredible character that never got off the ground. Um, and I'm going to say the same for Tony Collette. I mean, there was so much potential in the relationship between these two women that just never got more uh, developed than a couple of snide looks. Um, and uh, and that to me was the um, uh, was what could have been the power of such a strong ensemble that never quite delivered because of you know the the various paces that people had to to go through to make you believe that a thing was going in a direction that actually was, wasn't really going in. Um, this piece, though, some of the things that it did were uh, you know, it did some interesting cinematic things, right? You know, the visuals were were just lovely and familiar. You know, I mean, it's lovely to see movies that would have been made in the 70s made now with the, you know, with the camera technology that we have. So it could be sumptuous and sweeping. Um, And, uh, you know, the film actually started with like with what they tell you to write in your first year filmmaker as a filmmaker. Right. If you're going to do a movie with a mansion, a two headed dog needs to come out at you in the very first scene. <laughs> That's exactly what they kind of did, you know. So let's throw in every kind of reference point we possibly could throw in uh, to make the audience think in a bunch of different levels and, you know, not really know where to settle in on the stories initially. So a lot was done right, and yet um, it just felt like it never quite got to the point of singing for me. Yeah. One of the things I was going to add that we were just discussing with someone that I went to see it with yesterday was like, for me, while it's a who done it, it's more of a how done it because mm-hmm. it just becomes a little too painfully obvious who is really the responsible party. Um, it's just how that 
It's Gwyneth cold. Paltrow again. By exactly. The way. It's yes. always going to be Gwyneth Paltrow. And, you know, watching. She's, she's now responsible for things that go wrong in movies. She's not in. Oh, totally. Yeah. And I just want, you know, it's a Columbo-esque feeling where uh, you're just watching them try to unfurl and, and try to unfold what's going on in the hole within the donut and the donut hole within the donut hole that. Oh yeah, that, Benoit that brings up. Wow. But uh, so I agree with with you, Rich, about the idea that like some of these characters really didn't get fleshed out enough. But like Michael Shannon as like the kind of interesting brother that could be uh, mm-hmm. intimidating at one point in this really great scene in the hallway that Anna Darmus just owns afterwards. But yeah. By the way, it's been pointed out to me that uh, Tony Collette actually is sort of playing Gwyneth Paltrow. She even plays a character who has a company called <laughs> I think right. Flam or something like <laughs> yes. that. Uh, so, so Gwyneth Paltrow sort of is in the movie. But I think this does, you know, what Rich said, Susan, to me highlights one of the risks of these all-star cast kind of movies, whether they were like the disaster movies of the 70s or so many of the Agatha Christie, uh, you know, the star-studded movies which on which this one is obviously modeled, which is that, yeah, you, you know, I would add Lakeith Stanfield who ever since Atlanta I think is just like somebody I want to see do stuff and he doesn't really get to do very much at all. There's a lot of people here who are, I think, underutilized. They're there because we know they're really good, but then we don't get to see them be that good. Right. And yeah, I agree that there were there were characters I would have loved to see more of. Um, I wonder if there's going to be like a director's cut of this, which has a lot more. I'm sure that there's more. Um, just because there's there's so many there's so much potential for so many cool moments to happen. But I also kind of appreciate the fact that they packed as much uh, as much good character stuff in as they did into a two hour movie. I mean, that's, that's not bad to do as much as they did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were just so many very good performances, even if they didn't get to flesh everything out. Uh, there were, the performances were so good that you were able to get a good flavor of the characters, even if they were not in it for, for that long. By the way, this is domestically is the third highest grossing original uh, film from 2019 behind Us and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, outgrossed everything else that might be behind it. Um, so... Um, uh, well, Helder, I think it is time to do a crazy Star Wars fan moment. moment. Not that I think you are a crazy Star Wars fan. <laughs> I am, though. But, and, well, actually, you're both crazy Star Wars fans, but I wasn't going to like lean in on that. But this movie maybe didn't blossom as quickly as it could because it actually bore the burden of another movie directed by the same director. That's correct. The, I mean, one of the things that the haters of Last Jedi really tried to do is kind of carpet bomb this with negative reviews and just <laughs> constantly berating that this is going to suck. Because I mean, that really makes sense. That you. really makes <laughs> sense. Like, A, like last year, I, I just having rewatched it, it's such a, a great movie. I, I don't know why everyone hates it as much as they do other than like they kind of forgot that Luke was whiny even in the original series. Mm-hmm. But um, there was just this bad attempt, much like what they're doing with Birds of Prey right now, where just all these fans that are against a certain type of, I don't know, new version of a story that they like decides to take it out on every other project that comes out from either that director or that that uh, particular produ- production company. So. Or that just entire culture. That, and exactly. that's, that's the real thing. And, like, and you could t- trace this back, back, back. I mean, think about the, the Ghostbusters remake that came out uh, with Kate McKinnon a couple of years yeah. ago. That was, in my opinion, that was a hilarious, great movie. Uh, but it was destroyed by all of these fanboys of Ghostbusters who 
you hated it just because it existed. Um, and yeah, I, I agree with you. Last Jedi was fantastic. It was, it's right up there with Rogue One as my favorite Star Wars movie. Um, They're starting to talk a lot about Star Wars. That's right. It's we kind of my fault. Well, you know, before we run out of time, Rich, so this mm-hmm. is – I won't even mention where this came up recently. But Rich and I were at something and he said, oh, this is the kind of thing Colin makes me watch. Me- <laughs> meaning, as you say, uh, something that's about rich white people with problems. Ah. So why doesn't Knives so, Out fall yeah. into – like why wouldn't Knives Out bother you for that? that so um, this, this is about uh, – the problem wasn't the rich white people's problem mm-hmm. because they, you know, they knew or they believed that they knew uh, what the outcome would be for them as, you know, as rich white people should <laughs> always believe. Because right. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of, it's the Things script, are going right? to be great. I think you it's know? called entitled. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I didn't say it. You said it. Mm. Um, and, uh, but the, the arc of this story really rested on uh, the pressures uh, that these folks uh, could put on someone who was not a rich white person. You know, and and on uh, on some of the nowness of the movie around uh, you know the um, the positions that uh, that immigrant families have to take uh, in certain circles, and um, and uh, there's in this movie this constant uh, presence and kind of tolerance in that family of this alt right son, um, and uh, so you know so there's a lot of nowness that got packed into it. Um, the you know again I maintain though that the challenge is that that nowness never got unpacked enough right uh, and for I it feel to, uh, to resonate I feel like they wear some of the political things so obviously on their sleeves as to make them be kind of it seems like buttons they're pushing as mm-hmm. opposed to um, uh, you know I mean so Don Johnson we're in the middle of sort of a Don Johnnesance it's not as big <laughs> as the, the Keanuance but there's sort of a Don Johnnesance going on. anyway Don Johnson is this very Trumpy guy and then. There's this kind of like crypto fascist son, but I mean, it's just not. Uh, I don't know. I, I felt like you know, I was the, that was that idea was being honored more than it was being played out in, right. in, in a really interesting way. I, I like yeah, some of the la- su- so last yeah. thing from Helder. We should probably go to a break. Some of the subtle stuff that they did today. with that was just because of Marta's character being um, foreign and the way they could never. They never really took the time to figure out what nationality she actually mm-hmm. was, oh, yeah. and she goes through a bunch right. of different This is a Lati- Latina maid who, or housekeeper, or caretaker. She's actually a caregiver to yeah. to Christopher Plummer, but she's either from Uruguay or Ecuador, or it's Brazil, a different, different thing every time. Everyone gets a different one, yeah. Which is a running gag in the movie. Which is I didn't particularly. I should just say it was probably obvious from my tone. I didn't. I'm like the only person in the universe, as far as I can tell, who didn't like this movie. It seemed very long to me. Most people say it just yeah. flies by. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I was. Just really tired. <laughs> I didn't like it. it, and I thought it felt really long. All right, oh, well, I cut out I, the second yeah. the second act, and you had a movie. Right. I, I just sort of took from the fact that you at least attempted to watch it twice that you were sort of giving it your best anyway. Right. But uh, yeah, I, I, for me, it doesn't it doesn't. It seems like a middling movie mystery, and I think to the, a point that Rich was making earlier, it's to me, it's it's too arch to be taken seriously as a mystery, but it's also not funny enough to work simply as an arch product. So it's sitting there in that uncomfortable middle ground that I, I'm, I'm not particularly thrilled with. But Rich and I were in the vast – we were vastly outnumbered. We were in a tiny minority. The rest of the world uh, acclaims this movie and probably so should you. So uh, feel free to see Knives Out. Uh, we can't stop you and we shouldn't anyway. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We'll have some time for endorsements.
All right, we're back. I'm back with the panel. Uh, the panel is Held Mira and uh, Rich Holland and Susan Bigelow. Let me quickly say that today's episode, as usual, as is usually the case with the nose, uh, is produced by Jonathan McPants. Uh, running the board, making everything sound so great is Cat Pastor. Uh, and uh, I don't know who else I have to thank, maybe nobody else. But uh, on, so on Monday, one of the things we're going to be doing is talking to uh, political analyst James Surowiecki uh, a, a lot about the Democratic political field, but also about his theory articulated, I think, so far only on Twitter, that the best place to start the primary season in future campaigns would be Connecticut. He's got an argument for why Connecticut would be the place instead of Iowa, instead of New Hampshire, it should be Connecticut, but uh, lots of other stuff as well. We may also be talking to, to John Degata, who was the uh, author who sort of started the process that led to the play uh, that is playing right now uh, at, at theater works, um, the life, lifespan of a fact. So um, anyway, we have lots of stuff to come next week. Time to make some uh, recommendations, some endorsements, some things like that. Susan Bigelow, why don't you get us going? So I've got a book. Um, it's called Something That May Shock and Discredit You uh, by Daniel Mallory Ortberg. And uh, Daniel Ortberg is – he's a trans man. Uh, he was also the uh, – one of the founders and editors of The Toast, which was one of my favorite websites for, for a long time until it went under a couple years ago. Uh, and this book is just like – it's bonkers. It's, uh, it's part transition memoir. It's part like uh, stories about his life and it's – and it's got interspersed with like these these crazy off the wall things like you know what if Shakespeare was a monk and had weird ideas I don't know and it all it all kind of <laughs> I, I can't even be that funny you had me that. at that yeah no it's uh, it's it's weird and it's wonderful and it sort of drags you through and I really I really do recommend it uh, just because it's so different from almost anything that's out there so I really I really do endorse that T- title and author again. Uh, it is something that may shock and discredit you uh, by Daniel Mallory Ortberg. All right. That's a good one. All right. Helder, what have you got for us? So I fell in love with the TV series on Hulu called High Fidelity, which is an adaptation of an update from the Nick Hornby novel, which takes place in London. They've And then there was the film with John Cusack, which took place in Chicago in the 2000s. So now here we are with uh, Zoe Kravitz in the lead role of Rob uh, a record store owner who's going through midlife crisis with all her breakups and tracking down everything. They split it up into like 10 really interesting episodes, um, follow her and her her coworkers or her employees throughout Brooklyn as she tries to like go through the five loves of her life and what the problem was. Great soundtrack. It's really well done. They do a really good job of adapting the book more so than just the movie. Um, and I can't sing – its praises enough. It's uh, it's lovely. It just looks beautiful. It's really funny, really sweet and endearing. Um, some really great acting from all the all the staff, all the uh, crew on on there. So it's uh, High Fidelity on Hulu. Was was Zoe Kravitz's mom in the original so High Fidelity? I don't that's that my right. my brain canon is that so she uh, Lisa Bonet was a character in in yeah. uh, High Fidelity that John Cusack's Rob sleeps with, and because. Zoe Kravitz looks so much like Lisa Bonet. I just want to think that, you know, she is the illegitimate child of the two of them and and ended up in Brooklyn and is doing the exact same thing her dad did. All right. So a little bit of fanfic from uh, Helder right there. Uh, All right, Rich, what have you got for us? Uh, I have two, count them, two Hartford-centric recommendations today, endorsements today. First is a uh, a photo book by... um, uh, by one of our uh, local greats, Pablo Delano, 
Uh, it's just hot off the press, and it is just sumptuous and beautiful. It's called Hartford Scene, uh, and it um, juxtaposes uh, – and categorizes a number of architectural photos that he's been shooting throughout the city uh, as buildings change and as neighborhoods change. Um, and, uh, and he's been shooting these for several decades now. And, um, and uh, the book is, is just absolutely beautiful and, uh, and it makes you think. Um, about time. Where, where, about, could pe- where would people be most likely to lay their hands upon such, so, such a uh, book? It's being published by uh, Wesleyan Press. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you could get it on the on the press's website, or if you just Google Hartford Scene, Pablo S-E-E-N. and Google Pablo Delano. It's the way it sounds. Hmm. Uh, it pops right up. Um, worth worth a look. Through. All right. And uh, the second quick one is um, uh, the commission uh, about two, a year and a half ago or so uh, named uh, our first um, poet laureate. Uh, Frederick Douglass Knowles II, and uh, he is out all over the place right now uh, doing events and doing readings and uh, bringing additional poets along and creating these sort of very vibrant happenings, uh, not just in the city but all across the region and throughout the state. And um, and you could uh, check out where he's going to be and just show up and expect something really uh, unexpected and beautiful and um, and connected to the spirit of what this is. And you could find uh, him uh, his work at uh, where he's going to be at HartfordArts.org and hit the Poet Laureate button and you'll see a posting of his whole calendar. Go see him. It's just the best time out you'll have. All right. I will quickly recommend uh, the first ever Ryan Johnson movie uh, that's called Brick. A Helder made a reference to it. It stars Joseph Gordon-Levitt. It is really probably one of my 15 favorite movies from this century. It came out in 2005. It is film noir, an L.A. film noir set in a high school, and it's just terrific. It won't be one of your 15 favorite films of the century, but it's one of mine, and it is terrific. And Joseph Gordon-Levitt has some kind of weird little credit in Knives Out. I didn't, couldn't figure out what he might have done. I didn't remember seeing it, but he seems to be in there. And then I'll also recommend, so last week we took some a few days off, a few days away from the show, and I went up to Mass Mocha in North Adams, Massachusetts, where I have never been before, I'm embarrassed to say. And it was an amazing experience. Go there, find some art that challenges you. And speaking of being challenged, here come the people to ask you to support it. 